Okay, so imagine these softest sheets you've ever felt, and now imagine them getting even softer with every wash. Told you guys about this company before, but I'm gonna tell you again, and I'm honestly not gonna stop telling you because they are the best sheets on the market. In a recent customer survey, 96% said that Bowen brand sheets get softer with every wash, which I didn't take that survey, but if I did, I would have been in the 96% because I am telling you, it's like you've tried them at first and you can't believe that they could get softer and then they just continually do. A lot of things I like about this company. First of all, they're made with the rarest 100% organic cotton and are completely free from toxins. Second of all, they're buttery soft, but also breathable. So they kind of work in any season. They have over 11,000 reviews, 30 night worry-free guarantee. So you can wash style and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them, you can send them right back. Their signature sheets come in 13 versatile colors in all sizes. So from twin up to California King, I have them in the color stone. I have the color mineral. I have a waffle blanket. Like I got a lot of things from this company and everything is just quality. I so badly need you to try them so that you can understand what I mean. I'm telling you, I've gotten these as gifts for so many people and everyone I know is hooked. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bowl and Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code CBC at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code is CBC. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Compass by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. That was one hell of a start to the Southern Charm reunion. I could feel your excitement as we were watching this simultaneously from 40 blocks away. Like, I just could feel your giddiness. And I knew we were going to come on here and you were going to say, holy shit, what an amazing Southern Charm reunion. And I agree. Like, the energy in that room was just magnetic. They were buzzing. And my favorite part was there's no warm up. They hit the ground running out the gate. And I appreciate that so much because we've been in it with these people for so long. It's like, we don't need the warm up. Let's just get right to it. And they did. No, there's like no foreplay. And also, our classic line wouldn't be a Southern Charm reunion if I didn't say this is Andy's energy. It really is like, <laughs> I don't know why this is like the, the comparison I draw, but you know, when you're at a wedding and people say like, yeah, the bride and groom's energy makes or breaks the wedding. Yes. And like sets the tone. That's how I feel about Andy at a reunion. Like Andy is really the North star. So his energy sort of dictates like what the vibe is going to be. And he is just his happiest, best self when it comes to these and is so comfortable and was so energized because we had an amazing season to get into. He was having the best time. And did you notice he started to drop the y'all, which I was loving? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it was only like four minutes into the reunion. So you could tell he was really warmed up getting into character and like ready to fucking do it. I got to be honest with you. Maybe technically he's like on the right side of history, but I am just not a fan of JT. I think he's good for the show in that he does get a rise out of people and like it is interesting to watch these dynamics play out. So I'm not rushing for him to get off necessarily, but I'm just kind of icked out by him. And I swear it is not a height thing. (laughs) I know that was your first thing you were going to say, I swear. I know, no, I know. But I think it's so important that we have a character who pushes back. Like it can't just be an echo chamber of Craig, Austin, and Shep forever. You know, I'm proud of them because I think especially Craig has shown a lot of growth and like has a different perspective, but Still, they have this brotherly tie and bond and fuckboy energy that will never be able to be erased. So to have someone come in and sort of like stir the pot and push their buttons, it is so important. And I feel like he added a lot to 
the storyline. I think what I find to be a little bit frustrating, or if I was Austin or Shep, what I would really find frustrating is how JT so strongly wants to make the point that like he is in a completely different world than them. And they're there and he operates at a whole other level of gentleman. And the benefit he has is that we haven't seen him on TV for a million years doing a lot of bullshit. That's not to say he hasn't done some bullshit. That's not to say he hasn't had fuckboy tendencies, but because he's coming in now, and I think that he views himself as this very kind of evolved, chivalrous, gentleman-like presence that like he's really solidifying the fact that he could not even entertain any of their behavior. And it's like, all right, you're all on the same show. Like there's certainly some sort of holier than thou thing going on here, which I can find laughable, but if I was Austin or Shep, I think I would find very annoying. Well, what's also funny is the contrast between what's actually coming out of his mouth versus his actions and just the unspoken like aura he gives off, which is what he's saying is I never want to be you. I, you know, your behavior is despicable and you're such low life. So whatever, like why would anyone ever want you? But then like his actions and almost like as Austin said, how obsessed he is with them and the way he looks at them and the way he's clearly studied and not looked up to them, but like- <laughs> Definitely been, looked up. <laughs> well, definitely looked up physically, but in, in I don't know, in a way like t- been a fan of the show and of what's going on in their lives and the people around them. Like it's just, it is, it's pretty funny. And then it was also so funny, like, I don't know what the transition was, but it was like talking about JT like at that final party. And then it's like, oh, Taylor, you have a new boyfriend. Oh, that was so rough. You can see him really just squirming in his seat with that whole situation. And the moment when, which of course we have to get to, obviously I want to talk about all of this, but when they're talking about Shep not liking receiving nudes, it looked as though JT got the wind knocked out of him. Like he could not comprehend how someone is being offered a nude from Taylor, which is like literally his wet dream and refusing it. You could see his brain couldn't compute that. The lean into the sex conversation, especially with JT contributing, because I think he saw it as an opening to be like, oh, there's a fault in Shep and you know, like what he does wrong. And yet you can't, you can't buy, you know, being good at sex or making girls come or just from your height. Like, I think he saw that as like an opening to sort of interject and give his two cents of like why he's better about it. It just, the whole like power dynamic and also all of their individual commentary on that to me, and I know for you, was something I could have watched easily 50 more hours of. Well, the amount that can be extracted there for like really unbelievable analysis. And I'm not saying that that's a job for us to do necessarily, but if I was like a sex therapist, I would be having a fucking field day with this because there was so much that was revealed in what in the scheme of things was a relatively minor conversation. I mean, it was a lot for us as viewers because this subject matter isn't always so frequently discussed on a reunion, but realistically it was under 10 minutes of conversation, yet so many takeaways can be had. And you could see that there was a real line being towed there specifically with Shep in terms of leaning into the joke, allowing himself to laugh at himself and allowing everyone to kind of laugh at him and with him. And then at the same time, really not crossing over into feeling deeply emasculated. Because the second that started to happen and it crossed into that territory, immediately he hits back with, okay, well, I'll give you a list of satisfied customers. You know, it's like, he's down to joke about it, but only so much as his ego can take it. The second it, it hits into territory of 
like ego shattering, then it's downhill from there. And then even during the commercial break when him and Taylor are having like that small conversation, like they have a hug, whatever, he's like, and don't tell people I'm bad at sex. You know, like it was really, it was really wearing on him, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, also because (laughs) there was a piece of it where the other men in the group, specifically Craig, and I think with Craig, he can deal with it when it's JT, he's not going to entertain that for a second, but Craig was almost taking it as like a teaching opportunity, which again, I do believe he is the only other person on that couch that could have done it without Shep entirely losing his shit. But if JT tried to approach that in the exact same way Craig did, of like, no, you can come, I'll teach you. I I think Shep (laughs) would have lost it. (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) No, I actually can't. We can get back to the sex conversation. I obviously was so dialed into that, but I want to take a second to talk about Shep's kind of announcement to the group. As mentioned previously, you know, he discussed this beforehand with Andy. Andy kind of cued him up for it. And he basically starts out by saying, you know, I'm at a crossroads. BravoCon was sort of the impetus. I was out of control, drunk in Vegas, don't remember a bunch, and it scared the shit out of me. And Andy basically clarifies, you know, he was blackout drunk the entire time. Andy also explains, or I guess more so tells Shep that Austin during that Watch What Happens taping was really trying to kind of cover for him, be a good friend, make him as, quote, presentable as physically possible, which was something you could tell Shep really had no recollection of. And the way the group responded to this was fascinating because you can tell it is on some level a road they've been down before. And I think they struggle with really wanting to be there for him and be supportive. And then at the same time, kind of expressing fatigue with how this feels to be a pattern. And just that was, talk about an honest conversation that, If this was going down on Housewives, specifically with a newer cast that didn't have this depth in their relationships, there's no way it would have gone down like this. Like the fact that Craig was able to say everything he said to Shep and there was no blowout speaks volumes to the level of their relationship. I mean, it's also just the way they handle things specifically, but there's a lot of history there. So much history and also so much history with this exact topic. Like like Craig even says, they've been on this roller coaster merry-go-round over and over and over again. And like, there's fatigue for sure. I just think it was really vulnerable of Shep to do it in this way, but also clearly was because Craig and Austin didn't show up to that initial meeting that he had in person with all of his friends, I think as his own like self-inflicted intervention is what it sounded like to me. And you know, for the reunion to be like the next possible logical place to do it is just like kind of a crazy like meta simulation thing going on. I also felt like everyone was a little bit like blue balled and disappointed with the action steps. Like, yes, you can acknowledge it, but sort of his plan moving forward sounded too similar to things they've heard in the past that have not been successful. And I I don't know. I, I think it was big of him to come on the stage and say, but I also don't necessarily blame Austin and, and Craig for their reactions being nothing, not only being nothing but supportive, which like you said, I think is the cookie cutter response that would be acceptable. And like in this case, you have to give them a little grace. It's not the first time they've been down this road before. Well, I think that as far as we're concerned, like from a commentator perspective, there's something to be said for acknowledging the distinction between our reaction watching it and then their reaction actually being his friend. Right. You know, meaning like I, if Shep's saying that, regardless of what he's done a million times over in the past, I am going to have grace for him in having that acknowledgement and having the 
vulnerability to say it and like have a lot of patience for what may be coming because I also have not been the friend that has had to bail him out a million times and, you know, experience firsthand the frustration and honestly the hurt that Austin and Craig have. So I think it's totally fair to like have a reaction as a viewer and then also recognize that like their reaction is naturally going to be entirely different and not fault either one of them. Yeah, for totally. And I just feel like this is also a much larger conversation and probably something that we didn't even get the full extent of on camera, the conversation they had just sitting there at this reunion. I also didn't feel like we heard enough from Taylor. I mean, she's removed from it at this point, but I'm sure from her perspective, you know, living through it by his side, I'm sure she had a lot to say, but also doesn't necessarily feel like it's her place to say or be involved anymore. Their whole dynamic is so interesting because in some ways it's like textbook toxic X. And then at the same time, there's a real loyalty and mutual respect that does exist there and comes out in very interesting ways. It's so strange because you expect that it's going to go all one way and then it doesn't. It's like they really get it all. Well, what about when they all basically are agreeing and Shep too saying that he was the happiest, best self when he was with Taylor? See, to me, that is an example of a moment where his statement about feeling less prideful than he's ever felt actually holds some truth to it. And that I don't think Shep a few years ago would have said that. I agree with you. But then I flash back to what, a couple months ago when he said the thing about like, yeah, it was kind of fun to cheat on you. And I'm like, this is the same guy. So yes, in, in some cases, I feel like Taylor was different and he's really grown and he has no pride. He really would do anything to like get back to that great place they were in. But also, is she just another ex that he cheated on that he is going to be shitty about and, you know, would throw it right back in her face? It's like, I don't know ever what to believe with him. I'm not saying that he's like a changed man. That's not necessarily what I'm referencing. I just think that even saying that out loud is not something that his ego previously maybe would have allowed. I really feel like Craig Conover is a changed man though. A thousand percent he is. He also has such a level of emotional intelligence, comparatively speaking, to Shep that is very much on display. And I actually think if Shep was willing, and maybe he will be, to lean in a little bit more and kind of, I don't want to say take a page out of his book because they are so different, but a little bit, that could be very beneficial for him. I I just feel like his change was so slow and steady. And then all of a sudden, now you see this guy sitting there who said he basically doesn't drink anymore, who really seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. I'm not saying he's perfect, but just has like this emotional intelligence and like great perspective on all these situations. I'm like, wow, these boys really can grow up. Like Craig is the perfect example of it. And I feel like, you know, Austin and Shep in their own little ways have had it, but they're certainly miles behind Craig. And I'm not saying, you know, he has to give all the credit to Paige, but I do think being in that relationship with her specifically has also really like brought him to the next level. Oh, I completely agree. Also, you know, and I know I say this a lot when we watch Southern Charm with the screeners, but this is one of those times where like, I really don't know anyone else's take on this because we're recording this Wednesday night. So like, I, I guess I, I am anticipating the internet basically saying, all right, Shep, we've heard this a million times before and kind of just having a very pessimistic take on him because he has done so much damage in the eyes of the viewers. And it's not that I disagree with that necessarily. I just like, I'm committed to giving the benefit of the doubt, I guess. I can't, I can't help it. It's like, I see someone expressing that and I, I 
want to believe them. And I'd rather believe them and then look like a fucking moron for believing them than go into it expecting them to fail, you know? Exactly. Like we we got to keep the hope or else watching this show, it just becomes not fun anymore. Totally. Also, I don't remember exactly which Watch What Happens moment he's referencing. Do you? Oh, I went back and watched the BravoCon um, Watch What Happens Live episodes because obviously I watched them all like when they came out. We didn't go to that one, but it was the Dynamic Duos one. At first I thought it was when there was like a Southern House Rules one where it was like Vanderpump, Southern Charm, Summer House, but it was actually Dynamic Duos. So it really was just him and Austin up there together along with like Kyle and Dari. I don't even remember, like a bunch of different groups of friends, doubles. And it was hard because, of course, as we saw too, they film for a lot longer and then they really cut it down to fit into that like 25 minutes. So I'm sure commercial breaks or parts that weren't aired, it was probably worse and Andy sitting up there like next to them. The only things I noticed is like he's yelling things out and he, he like, you know, someone says something about their marriage. He's like, well, then that's why you don't get married. Or Chanel Ayan says he's the worst dressed. And he's like, what? Are you crazy? Like, he's sort of just, I don't know. A little unhinged. Yeah, unhinged. And I guess we didn't really think anything of it because everyone was so in their own way unhinged and really just like rowdy and happy to be there and wanting to like be the star of the show when you're competing with all these different people on these big stages with so much pressure. But you can for sure see that there was something going on. And I I was telling you this, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or just to you, but that someone on Jeff Lewis's show said during that BravoCon weekend in Vegas, Shep was like yelling and throwing money at one of the dealers in the casino and just acting like really a drunken fool the whole time. So there've been so many little tidbits out of that weekend that this certainly adds up, but also something about his breaking lowest point being BravoCon, a weekend that's like about the show and something that you and I also happened to personally be at was really also really fucking with me. Well, other things to mention in terms of the the significance of that is that was the first time he met Taylor's boyfriend, which as yes. she explained, there was a very kind of awkward moment there where he slapped her ass. Obviously her boyfriend didn't like that. He apparently doesn't remember that. Like, you know, all recipe for disaster. So I have to imagine that played a role. And then also, and he didn't say this specifically, but he certainly alluded to it in that they've created this kind of reputation. And part of what they're known for is just having the most fun, being the most fun, being the most rowdy. And when that has always been synonymous with alcohol, you know, I think at a moment like BravoCon, where it is all the attention and you are supposed to be whoever you are, the version of yourself that fans expect the most, like you're going to probably bring it. And I can understand why that was a very overwhelming time for him. And, you know, if I'm being honest, even when we were at some of those events, you can see the way that alcohol plays a role with everyone there before they're not, I'm not talking just Southern charm. I'm talking about across the board with any of these casts before they have to go on stage, before they have to kind of be on. There is certainly a liquid courage element that, I mean, I felt like we witnessed firsthand. I also feel like BravoCon, of course, puts a magnifying glass on those feelings, but just Shep's general identity is always the most fun life of the party guy. Like who 
the pressure is on him in any room he walks into to deliver that. So then for it to be like fans and other Bravo celebrities and at these parties where everyone truly knows who he is or knows what his reputation is, like it's so hard. Plus the temptation and also just like reverting to his natural state. It's like, there's a lot of things. And I guess that it really does make sense that BravoCon was the culmination of all of it. It makes, to me, it makes total sense, specifically after being there. Totally. Also, I mean, there's so much from this episode as I'm looking at this outline, I'm overwhelmed. But I do want to go back for a second to when they're talking about Whitney and Taylor and that interaction. And, you know, it kind of comes out here that basically she was sending that nude almost as a fuck you to Shep because she had heard that Shep and Whitney were gallivanting around Charleston, bringing women back to Patricia's house. And so that was kind of her come one, come all nude photo of herself as a fuck you to Shep. And, you know, Shep then explains the way that Whitney explained it to him. And and I was really glad that Andy brought up the conversation about some of the shaming that was going on around that, because it's so important that there's a distinction drawn of like sending a nude entirely someone's prerogative, zero shame should be had there. And then potential judgment for just the person that was the recipient, meaning your ex-boyfriend's best friend. Like I, I, I just want to make sure that distinction is always being made. And then also the element of like Whitney freely going around and showing everyone when it like really wasn't their business. And there's sort of this like silent contract that when you do that, it's between you and the recipient and like just all the layers to that. But also like that there is some real story behind that. And we have to like dig through the bullshit and the judgment to get to the root of why it upset everybody involved. And what about Madison bringing up Whitney's girlfriend? Oh, that, that was out of left fucking field, no. That almost to me, and tell me if you didn't feel this way, was like a quote forbidden thing based on the way that their faces reacted to it. And the thing you always have to remember here is Whitney is a producer of the show. He has a different role than the rest of them. He is in some ways a cast member, but he also holds a quote power that they don't hold. And I don't know why, but there was something about Madison saying that when I looked at everyone else's face where I was like, wait, was that like considered very not kosher? Well, then under their breath, I forget who was saying it was like, oh, I don't think people know that he has a girlfriend. Like we're not, you know, we're not supposed to talk about that. It was, it was totally supposed to be hush hush, I guess, but also totally adds context to the story. But also Madison looks so fucking good. Like Andy is so right. That is a top look. I maybe would have put her in different shoes, but the dress and the glam and the hair, like I almost was so distracted anytime she was talking because She's in such a good place in this season. And then also the look matching her energy perfectly like was distracting. It was distracting. She really puts herself together marvelously. She really does. Just to circle back to the Whitney and Taylor of it all for a second, you know, this sparked a very interesting conversation about nudes more generally because I believe it's Craig who mentions the fact that Shep didn't like when Taylor would want to send him news. She would want to send him news and he would basically refuse that to which Andy presses a little more. And Chef pretty much reveals, yeah, you know, that's just something within me. I like them, but not when it's my girlfriend, which there is so much there. And again, we're recording this before everyone else has seen it. So I am sure the internet is about to have a fucking field day with this. But to me, that was one of the more cringeworthy moments of the episode. I get he was being honest and I'll at least commend him for that. But to me, that is such a problematic statement in that like, 
he's totally down to sexualize women as long as it's not his woman. You know, there's a totally different set of standards being applied there. And it, to me, really signals almost like a, a loss of sexual liberty on the part of the woman, meaning here's a way that she wants to express her sexuality with her boyfriend, which in theory should be your safest place, this, the place that you can express that the most freely. And because of his own misogynistic tendencies, he is unable to view you with the respect that he wants to view you if you start to show yourself, quote, in that way, which is like so fucked up. Like, again, he was just being honest. So I will commend him for really saying what he felt, but holy shit. I mean, to me, that is such a red flag. To me, if I'm Taylor and that was going down when we're dating, that aside from anything else, I'm out. No, I so agree. And it's like, that's the kind of moment where I'm simultaneously so happy at how honest they are and how unself-aware and like un, I don't know, almost processed the thoughts that they just spew out are because it gives us so much content to work with. But also I'm like, okay, we need to like go to some intense therapy and also someone maybe should explain to you like why this is not only problematic, but probably like a really unhealthy pattern and cycle for you to be in and why it's unhealthy for your partner. Like, you know, we start spiraling going down these rabbit hole. But selfishly for us as viewers and also two girls who happen to have a podcast, I was like, oh fuck, we are about to talk this out. Well, because it just shows you how deeply rooted the misogyny is. He is basically yeah. saying that he is he's incapable of having a loving relationship with a woman when she shows herself to have that type of sexual side. You know, it's like there's a part of him that on some level feels as though, quote, that behavior, meaning the act of sending nudes, is inherently slutty. And how could he be dating a woman who has, quote, slutty tendencies? Like it, it is, it's so archaic in the thinking. I just, oh my God, I was so turned off by that. I actually was significantly more turned off by that than I was him talking about having a hard time making girls finish. Cause like, yeah, obviously that's unappealing, but also that's just so expected. <laughs> like I just, I don't know, we've heard that before. Somehow this really took me back. No, obviously same, but also in a weird way, like tell me if you follow this, it's very parallel to the conversation we have about Austin where like he can like respect and love a girl until he's in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's like totally. something changes and like the view of who he's in a relationship with just, it, it flips a switch. But that also like what you were just saying reminded me of a thought I had, which was that JT just circling back to him. <laughs> Same thing is what he's like, what comes out of his mouth doesn't match what's actually happening. Like, I think he thinks he is out of all of them, like the most in touch with the women and so emotionally open and knows what they want and, you know, could please them at, emotionally and physically in ways that they can't. But then also you look at like some of the shit he says and I'm like, bro, you are so misogynistic and like he can't help himself. And I think he would himself say, I'm not at all, but like he is. He's obsessed with like being a man and manly and the trophy and your wife and this woman and putting them on a pedestal. And it's like, okay, relax, 1960s. Oh, exactly. He, he does a very infantilizing thing when it comes to women, which I think that he mistakes in his mind or views in his mind to be chivalrous. It's like a little Napoleon complex. Yeah. I just, I don't understand 
what is appealing about a man viewing a woman as like this object. Object, totally. And also I feel like, for example, I could imagine JT saying, step aside, baby. This is a conversation for the men to have. Like some bullshit like that. Which by the way- throwing up. Right. Which like, by the way, what are you and all your five, six going to do about it? Like, please. (laughs) The way that I feel about him a little bit is the way that Garcelle was saying with Teddy, the gnat. It's like JT has a little bit of gnat vibes. Totally gnat vibes. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to (laughs) stick. Of course it is. Yeah. What about the fucking Thomas bombshell? Oh my, when I saw the preview of that, I'm like, all right, Taylor's going to pull something out, you know, a friend, friend, whatever. I didn't think it was going to be motherfucking Thomas Ravenel. I, I'm sorry. I know that Taylor and Olivia at this point, it's, it's done, but I still think that was pretty fucking low. I do too, but I so like, I could feel exactly what Olivia was saying, that Taylor was chomping at the bit. Like she had this and it was somewhat similar to what she had done and she was ready to put it out there. And then, I don't know, I just could not believe my eyes and ears that in the year 2024, we're getting into a Catherine and Thomas relationship timeline. I'm like, I I literally thought Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out. It was crazy. And I just think that because it was such a false equivalency in terms of what went down with Taylor and Austin and what apparently went down between Olivia and Thomas, like in terms of how it applies to Olivia versus how it applies to Catherine, it it was lower to me from Taylor's part. Meaning if she was talking about something of substance that really could be equated, I could understand more feeling like her back was against the wall. Olivia's coming at her so strongly and, hey, you're going to crucify me for this. Well, you did something just as bad and let the world know it. That it just felt so malicious. But I guess if you're Taylor, her defense is like, listen, she's coming for my character wholeheartedly. So let me poke some holes in what she's presenting herself to be as this like perfect person. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was low. I can't lie to you. I think that there's some things that even if their friendship no longer exists, you just hold to the grave. And I felt like this was one of them. Well, I felt like that was also her saying, I actually don't give a fuck anymore because I think Olivia would have appreciated then Taylor almost could have used that to her advantage after the reunion. She wanted the friendship back saying, you know, I thought about bringing that up, but I love you. I didn't want to do that. And it's not an equal example, you know, like not that she should get a gold star for it, but it would have said so much more, but you could tell it's like, it's a lost cause at this point. Yeah. Yeah. This was so good. I mean, I could realistically do the entire episode on just this. We won't, but I I just want you to know that I could. Totally. We could. I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out because you know when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear and it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still, to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out. But one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that 
you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So the way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings on to us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So something I was not anticipating after last week's Salt Lake finale, where I was so deep in it and so invested with every fiber of my being, was that when we got to this reunion, I forgot it wasn't only going to be about the finale. We were going to rewind and go back to the earlier half of this season. And if you've been listening, you know, Emma and I had a little bit of reading comprehension issues when we were watching this season. So we were back at square one with things that I'm just simply so confused about. And, you know, hearing them again for the second time, I can't say I have a ton of clarity. Yeah, I'm so glad you just said that. (laughs) I like really was very, (laughs) no, that was very freeing for me, for you to say. I think that I, and this was a very unintelligent assumption because obviously this was not going to happen, but there was a part of me that thought like, oh, okay, so we'll go from that finale and then it'll just continue with reality of aunties, you know? Right. But I forget, of course, this is going to follow the pattern of every other reunion ever, which is they need to rehash the entire season. I get it. I'm here for it and that I find it very entertaining, but I would be lying to myself, to you and to every single one of us, if I said that I can have that same level of enthusiasm I had last week, which was like literally seeping out of my veins for this part one. I loved it, but I don't have the same enthusiasm because I don't care that much about half of what they were talking about. Like, I love Angie and Monica going back and forth, but I don't really have an opinion on it. Well, no, and also like Lisa and Whitney repairing their friendship. Like, it's just a little blurry to me. And, you know, Angie's husband being gay. Like, I, I can't even believe that that is in the same lifetime as Reality Vontese. I know. To me, that feels like so many decades ago that we dealt with that. I also have to say, I know this is so not the point. And we, I would say, generally speaking, try to focus more on the looks we like than the looks that we don't like. But I just have to say this one thing. I think it was Tinks that storied this. She was like, okay, don't kill me for saying this. But the hair, Whitney's hair. She goes, was Whitney's hairstylist in a rush? And I was like, I was is- just <laughs> about to read Tinks' story because I watched that as we were just recording. That is so spot on of exactly what I felt like. Like her face looked beautiful. The outfit looked beautiful. But like, I almost felt like they forgot about her hair. Well, I don't know if I would go as far as to say the outfit looked beautiful. All right. That feels... In comparison, <laughs> like like somebody showed up and did their job. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair question to wonder, like, was there genuinely a timing issue? Right. No, I I agree. But overall, I honestly, I thought Heather Gay looked fucking incredible. I thought Meredith looked 
yeah, phenomenal. I they thought, all, honestly really all looked great. Like, listen, is the fashion blowing me out of the water? Would it stand in Beverly Hills or Miami or Dubai? Probably not. But for them, it looked pretty fab. Yeah, there was nothing that was offensive with the exception of Whitney's hair. But listen, you, you can't win them all. And by the way, she made up for that tenfold in the beach scene from Bermuda. No, I mean, I don't think Whitney will ever look better than she did on that beach in Bermuda. To me, honestly... The most interesting part of this whole part of the reunion was them just talking about overall Monica getting on the show and her relationship with Jen, how she was her assistant, but she wasn't paid. And also how she sent the email to the casting directors. Like that was absolutely fascinating to me. I guess what I'm struggling with a little bit is that I felt like in the finale, after initially denying it, she was pretty honest with everything that went down. You know, at least in her confessional, she was really giving us a full rundown of everything. And obviously, as we know, after the finale, she posted that whole photo shoot of revealing herself as reality Vontees. And it felt like she was going to lean in, which I'm not saying she won't once they get to that subject matter. But it just felt like, you know, two of the big moments from this part of the reunion were number one, the working for Jen Shaw as her assistant, and number two, the casting email. And both of those were pretty much immediately debunked after her saying them. So her ethos is now a little bit called into question with me because I, I found it to be a little bit messy and not so credible. And so, you know, I, I, I am like wanting to lean in and I am leaning in because I'm entertained, but I felt that she was less honest here than I was hoping she would be. And I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I feel like there's still very much a thick defensive wall up and wanting to really protect like how much she really worked under Jen and how much she really tried to get on the show. You know, when Lisa Barlow is sitting there saying, I didn't have to audition. I made this show happen. I brought the show to Utah. I I think that there's still part of Monica that always is trying to like keep up with the Joneses in a way. You know, it's very much back to the Louis Vuitton bag and that whole conversation that they had of her really wanting to like fit in and have a moment and and all these things coming up again where I think it would be so much like cooler and interesting if she really was like, fuck yeah, I wanted this so badly. I wanted to be Kim Kardashian. I wanted that assistant glow up that Kim had, which Heather played the voice note. Uh, by the way, like, yeah, the voice note was interesting, but like, I didn't think it was the hugest piece of information to drop that Heather needed to play it. You know, I was like, okay, and... Well, I think Heather's now, and not just Heather, kind of all of them have become a little bit obsessed with the idea of receipts being almost like a superpower. Right. And so if they have something that even remotely applies, they are going to either say it or show it or play it or whatever it is. And so she felt like, okay, direct lie for Monica. Here is my you know, counter to that. I, I don't know. In, in the scheme of things, I feel that the audio recordings can probably be saved for more necessary moments. Although- I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it because I did. I also thought the Lisa's ring conversation was just like so hilarious in that Lisa, and I say this with so much love, is such a parody of herself. Yeah, no, she's a full-on caricature. But she's got a point about the ring. It's very much, you know, Kim Diamond in the ocean. We would be more upset if she didn't care and was like, oh, whatever, I got 10 of those at home than to be really upset and search for it, do everything she can and explain the sentimental reasoning behind it. Like I am team that all day. And like 
So what? It's fucking housewives. She should have a $60,000 or sorry, $57,000 ring on her finger that she's wearing at the airport. So yes, totally. In terms of the Kim piece of like, yeah, it would be significantly weirder and far more out of touch for her to just lose a $60,000 ring and then not even be phased by it. But to Monica's point, she could have expressed her upset about losing the ring the exact same amount of times and just let go of the monetary value when explaining it. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. She could have said my ring, my ring, my ring. She, it was, I I get Monica's point of like repeatedly saying my $60,000 ring. It's a little classless. For sure. But like that just goes over Lisa's head. I'm just ready for Monica to pull up the receipts. I don't care if it's like really try hard or it gets like to a really trashy place. I, I want to hear it now. I'm in the mood. I am so in the mood also. I just want to acknowledge because you know how anxious I am about this. In full transparency, we are off the week of January 22nd because we have to submit these dates months in advance. And I think that is when Salt Lake City Reunion Part 3 airs. So we're technically not going to have a podcast that week, which like, you know, I am already spiraling about. So I'm sorry. It is equally as devastating as it is just the facts of life and there's nothing we can do about it. But I am so upset that we're not going to have a debrief for that. No, but it's okay because we're going to come back the next week and have so much more to talk about it. The the aftermath, the tweets, the podcast, the commentary, you know, there will be plenty. And also our DMs are open. So like we'll do some live freaking out and watch together and it's, everything's going to be okay. And we have the second part. So it's all good. Yes. And thank God for that. I just wanted to mention one other moment, which was when Andy asked them about how they felt you know, filming in the post-Gen Shah era. And initially they all kind of express excitement, but then Heather, which I thought was really honest, says, you know, yeah, we were excited to be able to do the show without her, but also she pretty much says there was a part of her that felt as though the fans got used to that salaciousness and the level of drama and, and she didn't want it to feel as though they kind of fell off in the aftermath. And I thought that was such an honest thing to say and, and definitely a fourth wall break. Such an honest thing to say and so real probably to what we were all feeling production, everybody. But I think as they've clearly proved they don't need Jen Shaw to have a juicy season. No. And I know that that is terrible news if you're Jen Shaw. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like Generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract, and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life, so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like You shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. 
literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. This is one of those episodes of Beverly Hills where it really brings to the surface the conversation we constantly have about this franchise, which is that at the end of the day, one of their strongest elements is the fact that these are real friendships that have a lot of depth. And this was an episode that I thought put that on full display. Yes, it totally did. And also that yeah, they like plan this like group trip to Ojai and you know, maybe that is a little bit of production involved, but I'd say most of the episode was a lot of each of them individually just living their lives and then also coming together for something that was really real. And there was so little like puzzle piece moving by the TV show element that I felt like it was actually really authentic. It almost felt like an old school Housewives episode. Totally, totally. I mean, Ojai was a fun time to put it like that. We needed that. It was so like reminiscent of when they went wine tasting in Provence and they were just laughing and being silly and funny. Like that is the energy we need. Like inject that in my veins. I think Sutton honestly put it perfectly. Maybe the first time I've ever said that when she said, (laughs) you know, we fight hard, but we play harder. Like that is so fucking true. Like, yes, Sutton, you're right. Yeah. And I thought also it was so interesting when they were having the conversation about what's appropriate on social media and Kyle basically explains that there have been instances with Mauricio that she's felt uncomfortable. Not that he's necessarily DMing, but even liking photos or commenting on photos or following people. And again, it's not that any of that was groundbreaking. I think any of us could have told you that that was probably going on. The groundbreaking piece of this is her so openly saying it because Kyle, a couple of seasons ago, would have never voiced that. But Obviously, as we've known, and as was definitely made very clear by this episode, she is in a completely different era, not only of her life, but very much in her relationship with Mo. Yeah, it's still wild to me. Honestly, even seeing her say anything remotely negative about Mauricio, just because that was never even like a thing. That was never something he was always perfect husband and they had a perfect life and you know their relationship was really private they were this like pillar of the community and the shift is just unbelievable i mean okay well let's just transition cuz it's natural when they're playing the game and it's clearly like the questions and the dares are coming off the cards but out of her own brain Kyle just turns to everyone and says would you ever be with a woman i thought Garcelle was going to lose it i thought she was going to fall out of her chair Dorit too I am so obsessed with this storyline. I don't know how to put it gently. I'm sorry. I just don't know how to put it gently. I I swear to God, if Kyle and Morgan tomorrow came out with a show, I would watch every single episode. Duh. I, I knowing that the two of them were going to be on camera together, like what I pictured versus what is happening, I never could have I could not have dreamt this. Like watching their dynamics and their interactions and conversations, it's I'm speechless. (laughs) No, I know. And honestly, for purposes of this episode, I want to be really conscious in separating the conversation of Kyle and Morgan with then 
her event honoring the life of her friend Lorene because that was so emotional and impactful. And like, I do not want the takeaway of that event to be her and Morgan's interaction. So I actually would rather first talk about Kyle and Morgan. And then later on, when we get to that event, like just talk about that event in and of itself, because the last thing that I want to do is reduce it to like talking about what we perceive to be a romantic connection there. But, and so we will get to that. Just firstly, the, the having Ojai as the backdrop and like, it felt as though, here's the thing, here's the thing. This is what I want to make so clear. So many times when we see a preview for an episode, it's very much clever work on the part of the editor of making something feel more significant than it was. And that is across the board. But this was an instance where it felt like it was exactly as significant as it showed up. Meaning Kyle, to me, was intentionally asking that question. Like she's not, she's leaning in. That's the piece that I, I guess I can't emphasize enough in my own mind. I just haven't processed my thoughts because we only watched this like an hour ago. Yeah, is she, like I think she's leaning in and like really teetering on put like she's trying to push the boundaries. She's pushing the line. She's seeing what buttons she can push and how far she can take it almost. And like she's playing and fucking with all of us. It's the same thing with her doing Morgan's music video, you know? We're so used to Kyle being like so innocent, like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I didn't want everyone to take it that way. But like she fucking knows what she's doing. Listen, one thing about Kyle Richards, she knows what she's doing. And what I think is very interesting here is in my, what I view it as, I don't know what anyone else thinks, is the combination of a very real relationship that has formed and also Kyle being a trained actress. Meaning, I don't think what's going on is at all bullshit. I just think her playing it up and knowing what she's doing and playing it up is also happening. And I, by the way, am obsessed with that combination. Like, give me authenticity and then make it entertaining. Absolutely. But just their chemistry and the way she runs over when she, like, she is addicted to Morgan's music. I know it sounds so like weird and cheesy, but she never stops talking about her, the music and how it drew her to her. And, you know, she's literally mid conversation with one of her best friends and she's like, hold on and runs to the music. Like that stuck with me more than anything. I know. And it, what's so interesting is that that was how they initially became friends. You know, Kyle right. really heard her on the radio. Yeah. There was something about Morgan's presence that is so calming to Kyle. And I think there's, like a real emotional support that she finds in Morgan that she has not found for years in Mauricio. And you really see that coming up. It's like, I think that if you were to ask Kyle, it's like Morgan sees her in a way that Mauricio hasn't. And it's so evident. There's like this real childlike energy from Kyle. Like even when they're in the car and they're with the ring and she's like, ew, it has cooties. You don't wash your hands. And she's like, oh, give it back. Like they're so like, I want to say flirty, but I think it also is really just playful. And also how Morgan has become part of like the friend group too. I thought also the most interesting thing was Dorit giving that anecdote about when she met Morgan for the first time, it was that they were all in London. I'm assuming her and PK and Kyle and Mauricio and Morgan, whatever. And they went out to dinner for Mauricio's birthday and how Morgan just like stood out like a sore thumb, which we've said from the beginning, you know, Morgan is a really different kind of person than the usual crowd that we've seen Kyle surrounded by. I can see Dorit walking in and never having been introduced to a friend of Kyle's like this being like, whoa, what's going on here? And 
then for her also to have that realization mid confessional that she thinks that was the last time that she really had dinner with all of them together as a couple, like the foursome was such like a full circle moment. I felt like I felt like that also, because as we've said, it's one thing for the rest of the women to kind of comment on it. It's a whole other thing when it's Dorit because if you're choosing anyone in the group, not that anyone ever played the role that Morgan is playing. I mean, obviously, but in terms of like closeness or in terms of just being so integrated in her life, Dorit was the closest to that. And yeah, it was really Dorit and Teddy and they each had their own separate roles, but Dorit came at it a lot with Mauricio angle, you know, like Teddy mm-hmm. and, and Edwin, her husband also had a relationship like that. But I don't know. I just always thought of Dorit, PK, Mauricio and Kyle as like this strong crew. T- totally. I, I am obsessed with it, to be honest with you. I, I don't really have another word for it. And it's not, it's not because like, I can't believe that, you know, Kyle is potentially with a woman after all these years with Mauricio. It's like, so not that, like, I truly am such a believer in sexuality being fluid and, you know, evolution. Like it's, it's not that piece. It's the, as you said, childlike giddiness that Kyle is exuding of like, I can't believe anyone can make her feel like this. For me, honestly, like what I had to do was I was like, okay, let's pretend there was no quote other person. Like there was no Morgan. There was no rumors. There was nothing. It was just like Kyle was just by herself. Like she was home alone a lot, whatever. To me, I still am processing and wrapping my head around the fact that Kyle and Mauricio even have issues or even going through anything or even, you know, fractured after all these years. So then on top of it, for the other side of the bridge to have this whole juicy potential storyline going on, it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot for me to take. I, it is a lot to take. I know. I know. I I just feel, and I know it's Ken at the times has been an unpopular opinion, but like, I just feel so good for being an OG Kyle fan, because you remember, I don't even remember which season this was now, but like at times where everyone was really coming for her, we would be so nervous before the podcast because we're like, we are Kyle Richards super fans. Like it just is who we are. And everyone was like so mad at her. I felt like always. And I'm not saying that people still don't dislike her. I know people have their feelings on her, but I just feel like we've really been on this ride since the beginning. And I'm not saying we haven't at times disagreed, but I just feel like this is her best season and it feels so good to have always been on the bandwagon. I guess I've just always been so deeply invested, even when other people were like, there's not that much to be invested in. Like, People thought she was really boring. It was the same thing over and over for years and years. I don't know. Maybe I felt connected to her. Like I relate to her. I care about her. I don't know what it is, but I've just always felt that way. And for this now to be the current chapter of the book is like, it's really fucking with me. No, it is fucking with me too. I want to talk about the event, but I just first want to mention Dorit and PK's therapy session and then Garcelle and her sons. Garcelle and her sons just in like, what a real scene that was. Like that is every teenage boy's reaction to their mom wanting to have the sex conversation. I know. And I also was waiting for one of them to say like, mom, we're not having the sex conversation right now, sitting in the kitchen with my twin brother and also with, you know, 15 camera people here. Like I really, I almost was a hundred percent sure we were going to have a fourth wall break, but they didn't, but it would have been such a good moment. I feel though, it's so funny because sometimes, and I think this must really just speak to like 
how much you trust the integrity of the housewife, but like there's certainly a world in which that wasn't Garcelle. If it was another housewife, not necessarily in Beverly Hills. I can't think of an example off the top of my head right now, but somebody who did that, that I would be like, you know, that was so off to like do that where your kids felt uncomfortable. Whereas for me, I'm like, no, I know that if Garcelle was bringing that up on camera, she knows her kids well enough to know that they were down with that being brought up. Not that they were going to have the conversation, but like there is no part of them that is going to be mad at her for doing that. I know the example. I know the example. Are you ready? Yes. It was Melissa and Joe talking about Antonia. Yes. And like, was it, it was sex or like a period or or something with boys and it was on camera and Antonia wanted to literally crawl out of her skin and they did it in like the cheesiest, most like exposing way ever that was just it wasn't fun for everyone including the viewers yes exactly and that is like so the opposite of the way that I feel Garcelle handles things oh great like and so I just it it didn't feel like icky to watch because I was like I know that I know I just trust you I just like trust you entirely do you think Doreen and PK are going to get a divorce uh not no like not saying they are but also certainly wouldn't rule it out I think not now, but like, I honestly, again, people were always like, you know, the age difference and they're so fake and whatever, gold digger, whatever people used to say the first couple seasons that she joined. I was like, no, these people are in love. And I think also people felt like she was so much more beautiful than him, whatever, like the classic, you know, commentary. And I was like, no, these people love each other. Like, I really thought that they had a beautiful, strong relationship and I still think they do. But I think. I don't know if it's, I think Dorit mostly has changed a lot. I'm sure PK has too. And, you know, we've only heard some of the story, but they just seem really different. And I'm talking outside of the anxiety and PTSD stuff, which I do think is really real. But I think through this therapy for that, it's bringing up a lot of other issues that sort of have nothing to do with that. This is like, not even fair to their marriage to put it in these simple of terms. But if you ask me to put it in the simplest of terms, I feel that they're getting the ick for each other a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I I can't even believe this is like a real deep true thought I have. I literally think Dorit's sort of like obsession with the glam and the fashion and the makeup that we all like die for, almost the pressure of it has taken over her life in such a way. And I do think, you know, let's say in terms of the anniversary surprise, I think, of course, her feelings are valid. And however she felt about it, you know, linked to her PTSD and the anxiety and the feelings it brings up, 100% if that's what she's saying, it is true. But I think for PK, it brought up, you know, issues he's seen maybe even prior to the the break-in that, like, she's not fun anymore and that that takes precedent over these moments and times in their life and like that the world revolves around that. And for her, I think she doesn't view that as a problem, but almost now lumps it in with the anxiety of the unknown and being able to control situations. It's it's fascinating, truly. Well, yeah. And on the flip side, in terms of what I feel to be her growing frustrations with him is that I think if you're her, you're so deeply frustrated with him just like not getting it. Like, I think that he lacks a lot of patience for her, which he admitted. I mean, he he's acknowledged that he sometimes, I think, could stand to be a little bit more patient. And I just think, you know, it's different than Mauricio. I'm not trying to equate the two, but I think she feels as though 
he doesn't know how to be there for her. And that can feel really isolating. I think she also feels like he invalidates her trauma and her feelings because perhaps the way she expresses them or the way that they come about for her, like, i.e. in terms of, you know, not wanting to have a stylist pick her outfit for this anniversary are not conventional ways of like anxiety or the way that PK would view PTSD to manifest itself. But like, that's just her reality and she just wants to be accepted and believed. It's, it's like, I don't know. There's just a lot of, it's a lot of miscommunicating and you're right. It's literally just the ick. It's yeah, it's really something. But again, I appreciate them putting that on TV because that was real. I know a lot of people in the past have accused them of not being real. Like that was real as far as I'm concerned. Me too. I just want to give a trigger warning for suicide before we get into this conversation. But there's so much here in that obviously you have the tragedy of this woman taking her life, which is so devastating for everyone around her. And and you're witnessing these people who are actively mourning the loss of someone they loved so much. And then specifically when we zoom in on Kyle and of course how hard she's grieving. And in addition to that, the way that it is almost really pushed her into being so deeply intentional with how she lives her life and kind of redefining happiness in some ways. And just, you know, it was a perspective shift that she could have never prepared for, anticipated. You know, it's something you just don't ever consider, obviously. And then it happens. And then you are left picking up the pieces and, and processing that in the aftermath. And for Kyle, one of the ways this manifested was, I think, a real reevaluation of considering whether or not she is living every single day to her absolute happiest, fullest, and most authentic self. And it's just, I, I, I don't know. You know, I know we've said this since even before this was ever discussed on the season. You and I continually said, I can't believe it's not being more discussed how much of a role this played. But like, this played such a huge role in the changes that we are seeing of her. And I just, my heart was breaking watching this. I, I was so sad, just so fucking sad for everyone involved and for Lorene that she was in that much pain and her mom. I mean, I, I, I can't even fathom it. No, I can't fathom it. And it, just how big a part of her life Lorene was. And also like, just how this literally changed Kyle's entire life. It really did for so many reasons. And, you know, the superficial ones that we're talking about, but I also thought it was so like eerie and maybe like a sign about when Kyle was saying that like two days before Lorene passed, she said, you know, you really should be appreciative of the marriage that you have. Well, right. And then her saying basically that now having these marital issues, she carries a lot of guilt and, and, all of these things you would have never had any idea that she was struggling with. I mean, that was a conversation nobody knew happened, right? Until she reveals it. I, we And also, what about Mauricio not even being at the event? The contrast of Mauricio not even being there, which is like a huge fucking deal. And then, like I said, my bridge theory, like, okay, I can't believe Mauricio is not at this event, which is like the biggest deal to Kyle. And then you have on the other side of the bridge, you have to process... Morgan is not only there, but she's like performing and kind of the heart of the event. It's it's wild. I really feel like for Kyle having Morgan there, yes, there was certainly a piece of it that was just her admiring her as an artist and feeling as though she was the right person, meaning the right musician to 
be able to fill the room with like the feeling that music can fill a room with and, and specifically her voice and her songs and just her art. And at the same time, I genuinely feel as though Kyle needed Morgan there as Morgan. Forget about Morgan Wade as the artist. This was such an emotional night for her. And I think that, you know, when you're in a room like that, you need to have a person to look to, to provide you comfort and strength and stability. And I think that in this room, that was Morgan. Not to say she wasn't grateful to have her daughters, not to say she wasn't grateful to have her friends, but I think it was Morgan that she was looking for in the crowd to make her feel safe and peace and calm. Yeah, absolutely. This was just so intense. And then, you know, in Garcelle's confessional, when she's talking about just the finality of death being really one of the hardest parts of it, and she's talking about her mom. And like, I, as you know, I've been so emotional about my mom this whole week because next week was her birthday. And so the the week before her birthday, I always am in this space. And then to, to be watching this is like, that is exactly how I've been feeling of, I know it's been, going on six years, but I swear to you, I sometimes wake up and I'm like, wait, I don't have a mom. Like what? It's so hard for me to wrap my head around, even though it is my reality. And obviously it's become my norm. And like we as human beings were designed to withstand this level of pain and then just keep going. Like that is literally how life goes. But sometimes it just smacks you in the face of like, I'll never be able to hug her again. I'll never be able to get that warmth and like that safety from my mom and and thank god if we're lucky enough to have such a a bank in our minds and in our hearts to like take from you know thank god but it, there's nothing like the real thing and I, I saw even when Sutton was talking about her dad she consciously stopped herself from saying he would be so proud to he is so proud and like it is important that language shift and constantly really wanting to uh, you know, make it clear for yourself that like this person is seeing everything and is there, but at the end of the day, there is nothing like them in their physical form. And it's just, it's like devastating. You know, sometimes like, I feel like, sorry, I know I'm rambling for a second. I just, I feel like sometimes I, and I'm sure other people can relate to this. Like you want to be so positive about the whole thing because you feel so lucky for the fact that you had them for the time that you did. And like, I really am. And then at the same time, sometimes I just have to give myself space to be like, this fucking sucks. I think just allowing yourself space to say like, I am strong and I'm going to be okay. And I'm so lucky, but also this really sucks is so important. And I, I was just like really getting in touch with that. I think watching this episode tonight, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, I think it was so like on par with things we've been discussing recently about you and for Garcelle to say that you know I think Sutton had a really like optimistic approach to it which I'm sure Kyle probably needs and appreciates but are also Garcelle just being so fucking real about it I'm sure so many people probably anyone who's been touched by death by anyone close to them like a hundred percent related with exactly what she was saying it was really like such a heavy emotional episode and I feel like what you said at the beginning when we started this recap, the moments you come together like this is like the real friendship and all the bullshit about like sudden esophagus go beyond the back burner. Completely. Which by the way, like, I don't know what Anna Marie is trying to make happen with that, but it's just so- We're over it. We don't care. No one cares about her esophagus. It's so bizarre and in such poor taste having that conversation with Crystal like, and then like literally gaslighting her in real time when you, you just said eating disorder. I- it, I, I was so out on that. I can't even tell you. No, I was 
given like the gravity of everything else going on, it was just not, not even worth the time. No, no. But anyway, just a really powerful episode that also had moments of levity. And I just thought it was spectacular. And I love Kyle Richards and I don't care who knows. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. We all get bogged down with the mundane tasks of life, especially this time of year. But is it a time you take a break from your normal, boring routine? Don't just sit on the sidelines and watch life go by. Get in the game with the bold tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You can be having a blast anywhere. Having a blast at work, having a blast in traffic, having a blast while you file your taxes. No, really, we mean it when we say anywhere. With Baja Blast now in stores everywhere, you can be having a blast whenever and wherever you are all year long. So what are you waiting for? Pick up an ice cold Baja Blast today at a store near you. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast in stores and at participating Taco Bell locations, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. This swag is available for a limited time only, so don't wait. Grab a Baja Blast and start having a blast right away. No purchase necessary, open to U.S. residents 18 or older, subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com. Ends June 15, 2024, void where prohibited. When I turned on Potomac this week and I saw that they were still in Austin, I almost had a moment where I like forgot it wasn't in real time. I was like, oh shit, we forgot to pick them up. I... <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, how are there this many activities? Like, what is going on? Because by the way, they already painted. This was the second painting party. No, like I'm literally on a rescue mission to get these women out of there. And I know they've been there too long because now Giselle is throwing Karen a birthday party. Like, I'm sorry, no. We've been here for too long. Everyone's losing their damn minds. Something's not right. I know. You know, it's funny. I know that the take online right now is basically like, Bravo fans are so mad at the Potomac women because of how hard the season is flopping. I'm not mad at them. I love them too much to ever be mad at them. They are really in my book, like one of the greatest to ever do it. I think that they are just having an off season and like, that's just going to have to be okay. And I have full faith that they will pick it up next season. This at least thus far is just not their best work. And you know what? Every franchise goes through it. And they're still entertaining and I'd rather them be like a little boring and themselves than like really try and push something that we just don't care about and like get production so involved. It's like, no, it's fine. We're going to be okay. And 
They are stars no matter what. At the end of the day, how mad could you be when you get a Candace confessional, which like any, no matter what is going on, give me a Candace confessional and I'm happy. And Ashley Darby dancing, amazing. And then a phone call between Robin and Juan where you're like actively so mad at Juan. It's not a pleasant feeling, but it at least makes you feel something, you know, like it gets the (laughs) blood pressure going. And I don't know. I just, I love them. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's, it's not the best, but like they'll, they'll do better next season or the reunion or whatever. I mean, we were talking about some of the greats. The thing about a Candace confessional is like her worst confessional is still some of the best to ever do it. So totally. just, we just, we just have to be grateful. Yes. And I, for one am also Miami this week. It's funny when I was watching it, I was in heaven, but I don't have that much to say. How are you feeling? I'm feeling annoyed because this Anna thing has gotten out of hand and I feel like it's a hot potato. I'm annoyed with Adriana because she's letting Nicole take the fall for it. And I, I'm i like so proud of Julia. I feel like she needs to say it one more time and she's so close to, you know, choosing the side of truth over her friendship with Adriana. But like, it's for some reason, even though they like said it, like, it's like Alexia and Marisol are so set in their decision and their ways to be mad at Nicole that they don't care. It's like, you know how much they have to really not like Nicole to pass on an opportunity to be mad at Adriana with cold, hard facts? Like, that is some stubborn fucking energy. Totally. And it's so interesting because they kind of acknowledge that in their confessionals when Marisol was like, I'm just, I'm done being annoyed at Adriana. Like she just sucks. This is, they're bored of it. Right. They're bored of it, which like (laughs) you would think that the natural reaction to being bored of Adriana would be, okay, we're just not going to allow her to rile us up. Instead, they want to get riled up. So they're just choosing to take it out on Nicole, which is like so fucked up if you're Nicole. And I agree with you that if I'm Nicole, I'm also really saddened by Adriana if I'm watching this back and how willing she was to let me take the downfall. It's just like so fucked up and I'm just so entertained and obsessed with them that I'm like just in heaven. Really, that's how I feel. What about the Larsa, Sophia, Marcus content? Well, that's something I could watch all day. Again, I know, I know it all, but Larsa and Marcus, I love them together. I don't give a shit. I, I, I At times, I know we've said like, she's so unbearable and yet I am hooked on them. When Larsa's good, I get it. But like, I don't know. It's just, I really, I'm, I'm really happy for her though because they are, I, I feel like really strong and really committed to each other. And this was almost for me, the missing puzzle piece was like understanding how he fits in with all her kids. So to see it with Sophia was, it was really nice. And what about the, the preview of her talking about the eggs that she did, the egg freezing yeah. with the Kardashians? Whoa. Whoa. Well, because that was my question you know, was she, he's 32, she's 48. I, I don't know if he wants to have kids. Obviously she has a beautiful family. She's done the whole kid thing. Is she willing to do that again? And is that something he really wants? And like, if so, what is their plan? Cause there's a lot of different ways to do that, you know? And I'm, I'm just so curious. I loved when they were in the confessional together. Just, I loved that. But when the producer was asking them about like, you know, your kids spoiled and entitled or, you know, just privileged. 
And she's like, no, no. And they're like, the producer yells, Larsa, your kids fly private. <laughs> right. And Marcus is like, I didn't even know about flying commercial because my dad owned the jet. I'm obsessed. It's just, it's perfect content. It's it's perfect content. Yeah. I don't know. I really can't get enough. I, <laughs> I just love, I love these women. And I know we say it every week, but Gertie is one hell of a woman. I love her. Truly one hell of a woman. And it's so nice seeing her on screen and then knowing that like she was just as phenomenal in person and just as real in person. I am like so deeply happy that we met her and hung out with her, had her on the podcast. Like, I don't, it's just, she's so magical. So to have lived that magical energy, I just, I watch with such a different eye. Like I, I always loved her, but there's just something about having, have been with her that I, I get like the magical spark and like the way that people feel when she walks into the room, I can feel it too. Mm-hmm. I completely, completely agree. And Kiki, obviously fucking icon no, legend. Kiki's fucking queen. Queen. No, best part of our BravoCon weekend. And I will say it till I'm blue in the face. And you know who agrees? Gibson. Yes, Gibson Johns is a Kiki stan. Yes, and I'm a Gibson Johns stan, so. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's just end this with a little Trace Amigas, shall we? Yeah, trouble in paradise. I've been following this as closely as I can because naturally, because it's Tamara and Vicky and Shannon, like, (laughs) it's chaotic, frenetic energy all around and there's so many tweets and Instagram stories flying that it's really hard to keep up. Basically, they've been doing a Trace Amigas show where it's like a live, basically podcast, not podcast, where they do a whole, you know, games and whatever. Then all of a sudden, there started being this promotion for just Vicky and Shannon, no Tamara. Then Tamara posted a tweet that said, Uno, period, and started then teasing all this promotion for this one two teas in a pod live show that she has going on in San Francisco. I think around the same time that the Vicky and Shannon shows going on in San Diego, all this back and forth. And then Tamara got on Twitter. Right. And someone tweets, Ad Vicky Gumbelson took Shannon in and cared for her when she broke her arm and was at her lowest. While Tamara befriended Shannon's ex's new love interest while liking and commenting all over their posts. Come on, Tamara. And Tamara responds, yes, you're right. Vicky took Shannon in, and instead of Shannon using that time to heal, she was busy recording Vicky and her boyfriend fighting and bragging about it to me weeks later. Such an amazing friend, isn't she? Also, for anyone who gives me shit for making up with Alexis, I made up with her at BravoCon, weeks before she even met John at The Quiet Woman, and over a month before they went public as a couple. So if you're going to talk shit, get it right. Also keep in mind, it's just been reported via source that told page six, you know, that apparently Alexis has received a formal offer for next season of OC. And Shannon posted filming today. So I guess she's back or coming back or is doing something. I don't know if it was Orange County. I don't know. This is a hot mess. Vicky's been commenting. Everyone's just writing everywhere. And Taylor Armstrong was on Jeff Lewis talking about like what they've heard and about Alexis coming back and how, you know, if it's true, I mean, not that Vicky's like coming back full time or anything, but like if it's Tamara, it's going to be what Tamara and Alexis Bellino versus Shannon in Shannon's year after her DUI when she's going through a tough time. It's not pretty and it's certainly messy. And it's also just what I would classify all as classic Trace Amigas drama. Well, you know, obviously a lot of people are also speculating that this is deeply 
not entirely false, but deeply exacerbated for the purpose of getting Vicky back on, which like, mm, <laughs> interesting. by the way, I am so down for it. That's the case. Cause you know, I, I want Vicky back. I know, but like Tamara's reposting shit that Vicky says and being like, oh, supposed to be my sister, my best friend. Like, how dare you? Like, they're really going for each other's fucking throats here. I know. I just, I guess there's always a part of me just specifically with Tamara where it's like, is this 100% the case? Or, yeah, you know, is there an ulterior motive? And I'm, I'm not mad at either. If I know one thing about Victoria Gumbelson, it's that she is not going to allow any lies or slander or her name dragged through the mud for anything. Like, that is just not something that she is down for. No, I know, I know. Just very interesting to see how this plays out. And I am personally in favor of Alexis coming back just because I love a, I love a return. Um, yeah, I'm mixed. I just like, I don't care about John Jansen enough to see a whole season about it, but like, I'm obviously interested. I don't care about John Jansen enough. I care enough about Shannon's reaction. And I I don't mean that in like a mean way, meaning I want to see her struggle. I don't, but I know that she will be very vulnerable in her feelings. And I think that that is interesting to watch. I know. I'm just, I'm nervous. Let's just everyone pray for Shannon. What a time, huh? What a time. Okay, we love you guys. Thank you for listening and for letting us do this. And we'll see you next week. Bye.